So once again, good morning. My name is Glenn. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Luke. We are uh, going to be in our second Advent series uh, message this morning. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So I'll put your finger in there, and uh, we'll get to the reading of that in just a few minutes. Uh, I want to just give you a little bit of a highlight of what we're going to be looking at today. As you know, we're in this series. We do this every year, an Advent series. Um, it's going to culminate on Christmas Eve. So it's actually a four-part series, although the Christmas Eve is more or less the retelling of the story through readings and some narration uh, that we will do on that night. Last week, we began with what I, what I titled the first cosmic event, right? And, and that's sort of one of our themes for this year's Advent series, is that we're looking at this as cosmic events. And the reason for that is, as I again suggested last week, uh, Revisiting Advent, the true story of Christmas, for us as Christians, for people in the world, for that matter, it doesn't matter, for any of us, it can be hard. It can be hard to do so. And the primary reason for that is, well, 2,000 years, right? It was a long, long time ago in history and in reality, but also it can be hard for many of us because, uh, let's be honest, um, it's Christmas, right? And Christmas can be joyful, it can be hopeful, and it should be. Uh, but Christmas can also be uh, difficult, hard, stressful, life, life, right? Life happens every day. So some of us could be here today and uh, have had uh, a challenging few months or a week that is challenging. And so this kind of subject, even though we want to approach it and, and, and baby Jesus, like we saw in the movie last night, which was awesome. By the way, if you see any popcorn on the floor, there were a lot of kids here last night, okay? We tried to clean up as best we can. It was an awesome night last night watching The Star, the movie. So the key, the key reason why I suggested to you last week that we find it hard to enter the story is, A, because it did happen so long ago. We, we are so far removed from it. Last year, I was reviewing my notes, and, and, I, and I called it, the series last week, we called it uh, last year, The Best Story Ever. Right? And, and, of course, the idea was we wanted to compare it to the best story ever, the true story of Christmas, and then the stories that we make up <laughs> to tell our kids. And, and we make up, too, uh, in, our, in our world, in our culture today. And those stories, of course, lead us to, rather than saying the words Merry Christmas, it's more about Happy Holidays, right? It's a completely different story. And so I was reviewing that and thinking about it and going, okay, that was a good theme, I think. Except even in the, in the title, in the theme itself, there's a problem, isn't there? And the problem is the word story. Because <laughs> oftentimes we hear the word story and we start thinking about things like a dark and stormy night, right? Or, or like this is fiction or fantasy. And we, we can get, we can even, you know, we have our Bibles and we read them and, and, and we trust Christ and we, we, we believe these things. And yet even we, church, can sometimes become removed from it. And so it's hard. And so that's, that's the reason why we're doing this. We want to we go back into this and look at this, because I would suggest this to you. What happened last week that we saw last week, what we'll see this week, and then next week, and, and on Christmas Eve, these are the most amazing cosmic events that have ever happened in history. Aside from the resurrection of Jesus and the arrival of the Holy Spirit on, on Pentecost, when the church was born, these are the most remarkable cosmic events that have ever happened. So, so why am I causing, calling them cosmic? Well, because the, these are events where God outside of the cosmos entered miraculously in their true stories. So I also mentioned last week that I had a, a bit of a fascination when I was a young guy 
This is way back in the 60s, I know. But, you know, seriously, it was, it was UFOs, right? Like I was so into that, extraterrestrials, right, and movies where they were going to come and wipe us all out, right? Because they were, you know, more superior than us. They could travel light years and distances, right? And so, you know, there's this fast fascination. But really, really at that time, there were kind of two existential questions that we were trying to figure out. And I think we still are today. And, and the first question is, is this. Is there anyone out there? Right? Like, really, are we it? Like, the laws of probability would say, you know, the amount of you know, grains of sand on the ocean, there's so many billions and billions of planets, come on. Well, you know, 60s is actually 50 more years ago. Oh, dear Lord, how old am I? And, 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 but what's the evidence so far? Science has gone a long way. It appears like, no, so far, we're it. We're it. Now, that's a remarkable thought when you think about it. But it really, it's, it's all based on, even that question is based on a more fundamental question. Are we alone? I mean, that's why we sent men to the moon. That's why we do this exploration, right? Partly it's because, well, some people would like to prove that we're not the only ones and that there is therefore other realities and then maybe what we believe in the Scripture and so forth may not be true, et cetera, et cetera. But really, the fundamental question is, are we alone? Because if that question is answered, that means a lot for our lives today. That can change things, right? And so what I hope you're going to see uh, last week and today especially is this. No. (laughs) The answer is no. We're not alone. Not alone at all. Maybe as humans or creations and beings, we may be alone in this cosmos, but we're not alone. There is a God who so loves us that He came into our existence, into our lives, that He created. And that's the person who we are looking at and seeing today. As we learned last week with Zachariah and Elizabeth, He is faithful to keep His promises. He promised that He would come, and His purposes for coming are always good. And we saw that last week that Elizabeth was barren. She, was, she could not have a child. And, and, and part of God's answer and reason for coming is to enter into all of our barrenness and our brokenness and to heal us, to restore things, to make all things new again. And that's a beautiful picture. And so we saw that he came. He took away her shame as well. He blessed her beyond measure. We also learned this last week. I think it was the key takeaway. We learn the power of prayer and that it in itself is a cosmic event. Zechariah and Elizabeth have prayed for years for a baby, for a child. Well, because they wanted a child as a couple, but also because he's a priest. And, and it's shameful in that culture in that day not to be... It, it's a sign that God is not blessing you if you don't have children, especially as a godly, faithful Jewish couple. And so they were praying and praying, but also the people of Israel we saw were outside the temple when Zechariah is in the temple burning the incense. They're praying for 400 years for what? For the words of the prophet Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, 400 years earlier, who prophesied that God promised would send a forerunner, a, another Elijah, who would be the forerunner to the Messiah the Son of God. And they're praying for that. And then the angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah and says, guess what? Prayers, plural, answered. 
course, Zachariah at first was like, I don't know if I believe that. What do you, what do you mean? Like, like, he was only thinking about himself and their having of a child, right? Even though he was supposed to be in the temple at that time, praying for the Messiah to come. Kind of missed that point, as we saw last week. So this week, we're going to discover the second cosmic event in the story that takes place in the text, leading up to the incarnation of Jesus that we'll see in the next two weeks. And we're going to see, I hope, we will see God's love expressed through His favor his favor for a very young Jewish girl. The comparison between her visitation and the one we saw last week with Zechariah is remarkable. And frankly, I think it illustrates the plan of God in incredibly beautiful ways. So I want to ask you to read with me, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, I'm going to read from my, my brand new Bible, by the way. Can I just mention this for you? Uh, Janice and I had our 41st wedding anniversary on Friday. woo I know. It's amazing. I can't believe it. I know. We're like... I'm old. She's not that old, right? But, but what kind of a wife on your anniversary buys you a brand new goatskin, real, real goatskin covered Bible? An amazing wife. Right. And I was like, what, what are you saying, honey? You, you don't think I, I read my Bible? So let me read from uh, this Bible for you this morning. Beginning in verse 26, this text says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, um, (sighs) Holy Spirit, thank you for um, inspiring Luke to um, Record these words, this testimony of what happened. Thank you for giving him uh, the eyewitnesses who he could go to talk to. Mary herself in that day. Thank you, Lord, how you worked all these things out so that we would have this testimony here today, that we would read this word and we would, we would know in our heart of hearts this is true. And so we thank you so much for everything that you're showing us here today and will show us here today. I pray you would bless us and encourage us from your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. (laughs) 
They're singing Christmas carols upstairs. It's pretty. Is it obvious or what? Somebody's keeping a beat too. I can, can you hear it? It's coming through the floor. Okay. Uh, sermon title for today: the second cosmic event. Let me put the first two verses on screen. We're going to dive into the story and have a good look at it this morning. I'll reread those first two verses. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So as we're picking up the story here this morning, um, we, we learn that Mary's aunt, she's a relative, she's her aunt, Elizabeth, uh, is now six months pregnant on this particular day in history where this angel Gabriel is appearing to Mary. Uh, Mary is visited by the same angel that uh, Zechariah was uh, visited with, uh, the angel Gabriel. We learned last week that he's one of the two in the Scripture, although there are many uh, angels, but one of the two that is named in Scripture, Michael the archangel, who's a bit of a warrior angel. He, he, he comes and he, he does the, the, the big jobs for, for God when it comes to war. And uh, Gabriel is more of the messenger. He brings messages directly from the throne of God. And so he is the, the cosmic event that is coming into this world to speak to them on behalf of God. Twice we're told in this text right here, or in the story, pardon me, that Mary is a virgin, uh, meaning, of course, uh, that she has not been with a man. At PG-13 here, so I don't need to go any further, right? We understand the story. She has not slept with Joseph or any other man to become pregnant. She's a virgin. But she is, the word used here is betrothed. Uh, of course, in, in our day today, that would be kind of like engaged, although in that day, betrothed was you're married, except you're not doing anything until you're married, right? Until the actual ceremony takes place. So they are betrothed. They are given to each other. They are living through a period of approximately one year of this period where they are waiting their marriage. And so again, in this text, like we saw last week at the very beginning, Luke anchors the story in history. He names names. He, he, he mentions David. He mentions people that are, it's, it's uh, towns that actually exist. And these are things that are completely verifiable in those days and even to this day. So what we learn from Jewish history and tradition is that, that Mary would have been, and the commentators and theologians would agree on this, Mary would have been very young. And in our culture and world today, it sounds a little unusual and maybe, what? But she's probably 13 to 15 years of age, so let's just call her 14, okay? Now, again, I suggest that, that today would be something like we'd go, I don't know if that's a good idea uh, to be, let alone betrothed, engaged, but like maybe one year away from being married. There's some things I could comment about that, about how active some of us in our culture today become at young ages. But in that day, it was not unusual at all. In fact, it was the norm. And, and in fact, it was considered a very good thing for a lot of reasons, for the family, for uh, the, the protection of the daughter especially, to, to have a, an arranged marriage like this. This was considered actually good. Some historians and people like to look back on these and say, like, that, that was just not right. Well, we're, we're looking at that from post, post, post-enlightenment mindsets, and that wasn't the idea in that day. It was actually considered a really, really good thing. But the truth is, and, and, and we looked at this before when we went through this in the Gospel of Luke way back, like a year, almost two years ago when we did this text, because we've been in the Gospel of Luke as a church for a couple of years. Um, we, we thought about it this way. You know, Mary was probably, we don't have a lot of background from the Gospels, but she's probably like most 
young women today, but young women in her day, and that is, is that she probably had um, many, many hopes and desires for her life. She was most likely happy to be marrying Joseph and looking forward to marrying this man and being with this man and eventually, you know, starting her own, having her own home and starting her own family. So let's see this uh, in the best case scenario and maybe ask this question. What would Mary be hoping for as a young woman? Um, For her upcoming wedding feast, her honeymoon and her marriage. For her life for that matter. So I want you to imagine with me here, we have Mary, this young girl who's dreaming about the kind of life. Now I know today, I mean, you can go online and Pinterest, uh, in marriage, like, I mean, listen, it's, it's unbelievable how people plan their marriages today, spend thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on their ceremonies. But I mean, this is a very simple time, but still she had to have had her dreams for her marriage and what that might look like, where they would live when and then how many children they might have in those days, how maybe his carpentry business would go, uh, where they would end up living. Would they stay in Nazareth? Would they stay where, they're, where they, they're, they're, their child is born, or would they, would they move? Did they have a dream location that they wanted to live in, like Squamish? Amen? I mean, did they have a place where they wanted to go to? Come on. They had to have. She had to have these dreams. I think like any of you young women or older here today, for, we, we've all had these dreams about our best life. Like it's a dream scenario. Like how could, we, how could we lay this out and paint this out? Now, one of the keys, I believe, to growing in your faith, and you've heard it often if you've been part of the Rock Church for any time whatsoever, uh, is that everything that we need to know about growing in our faith is actually right here in this real leather Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the Word of God. It's here. It is, frankly, the Scripture tells us, food for our souls. It's the food that we need. It is God-breathed. It is inspired. It is truth. It is life. So obviously then, we must be in it, and the Word must be in us. Now, a very simple formula that we use as a church, and we encourage people in Bible study and small group, uh, in any case for that matter, uh, that we are teaching and encouraging is to ask these questions as you read any text or passage. Four questions. Four questions are this. What does this text tell us about, number one, who God is? Uh, That's the reason why we open the Bible on Sundays and why I would encourage you to open your Bibles and read it is to, to find out who He is, this God. Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God, to find out who He is. Secondly, what does it tell us about what He has done, is doing, and will do about His actions as God? Thirdly, what does this text then tell us about who we are as those created in His image, as fallen humans? And then out of that, finally, how then we should live. I'd also suggest this to you. That's probably a good way to listen to a sermon, by the way. (laughs) Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, right? It's about, that's how I go about the preparation of a sermon, is to find out, okay, what does this text tell us about who God is, what He has done, uh, what He has done, is doing, and will do, who that means we are, and then out of that, as an application, how then we should live. So let's do that. In these two verses, let's look at what these two verses tell us about the first two questions, who God is and what He's done, okay? Okay. That's why I told you that was for preface. So we learn, first of all, very simple thing. 
God is. It's how the Bible opens. In the beginning, God. It doesn't start with a philosophical argument or discussion about the various kinds of gods there might be and and the myths and the legends. No, it just starts out, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so that is something that's established in these verses right there. He is. He is. He exists. But it also is this. We can see from this text that he is actually outside of our cosmos. And we also know from the Scripture that he is omnipresent, which means God is right here, right now. He is present, not in things, but he is present everywhere in his creation. In this room, in this community, in this country, in this world, in this cosmos. You, you can go nowhere. Read Psalm 139. It was part of our devotions this morning, Janice and I this morning. There's nowhere we can go to hide from him. Why would we want to hide from him? Well, Adam and Eve at one point did, right? He is everywhere. Most importantly, though, we see this in this text, and this is the thing that I want us to highlight this morning. He's a missionary. He has the heart of a missionary. He is a sending God. He sent Gabriel to Zechariah. He sent Gabriel to Mary to give her the good news. This is who God is is. One of the attributes of who God is. He's ascending God. And as much as you and I love the idea that God is love, right? We've all heard that God is love. Yes, He is. Of course He is. But he's, that word is actually more of a, a verb. <laughs> it's an action word. And, and that's what He does. He expresses His love by sending, in this case, one of the ways that He expresses Himself. So He's always been that way. He's always been that way. From the very beginning. You remember the garden, right? Most of you know your, your Genesis 1, 2, 3, I'm sure. You remember the garden, how that started off. It was awesome. It was wonderful. Everything was good, very good. Husband and wife, everything's perfect. We got God, you know, we don't need to wear any clothes because there's no... Then something happened. Well, what happened was we rebelled. We and Adam and Eve, we rebelled against God. We basically at that point in time said, no, you know, listen, thank you. God, awesome creation. Thank you. It's been wonderful. We really appreciate you. But here's the thing. We want to be the ones who plan our own lives from this point on. We will take it from here. We want to be Lord of our own lives. That is essentially what happened when, when Adam and Eve did that. And it's essentially the way most of us have lived most of our lives, and sometimes today even we can be tempted to do that. Well, as you know in the Scripture, but I'm sure if you're honest with yourself, how's that working for you? How did it work out then? Not so well, right? It did not work very well. And so, again, I've kind of put it this way in the past, is like if you were God or I was God, good thing we're not, Okay? But if you were there and you had, you'd created all this and, and you'd created us and, and these, these, these two people and you put them in the midst of your beautiful creation and, and you gave them everything they ever needed and, and you just said, everything is yours, but t- t- that one tree, listen, like, trust me, don't eat that tree. And, and, and if, if you were God and people were like, yeah, thank you, and went and did it anyway, have you ever spanked your children? <laughs> like, sorry. I'm not, I'm not um, endorsing that. But, like, I mean, the response of most humans would be, well, that's enough of that. It's not God's heart. It's not God's heart. When he comes looking for Adam and Eve and they're now hiding from God, can you, can, 
hiding from God. We read these words in Genesis 3.15. Speaking to Satan, to the devil, Jesus says, uh, God, pardon me, says these words. The Father says, I will put enmity, division, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. At that moment, God shows what kind of a missionary God he is, what kind of a loving God he is. At that moment, he promises, he promises, I'm going to deal with you, devil. You're going to be defeated, and it will be through the son of a woman whom I will prepare and send. The whole Old Testament is testimony to that. It's a beautiful picture that we see about our God. So should we all should see, see this from the facts that Luke records. He is a promise-keeping God. We saw that last week with Zechariah and the people of Israel, who with foreknowledge, look at this, prepared both Mary and Joseph, A, to meet. <laughs> like, some of us are like, well, you know, yeah. I mean, I often say this about you know, meeting Janice. I mean, I remember being seven or eight years into, into marriage with, with Janice. I love my wife. And... Uh, as any, any man should, but I remember being seven years, and I'd get like shivers sometimes thinking, oh, well, what if we hadn't met? You know, like, I, honestly, I did. And, and it was like, because I, I mean, I, the longer we were married, I loved her even more. And I, and I used to think like, wow, what if we never met? And of course, we, we have that, that, that belief that, you know, God brings someone into our lives providentially. It's a good belief, by the way. But in the case of Mary and Joseph, listen, read the genealogies. The genealogy of Mary is in the Gospel of Luke. And then read the genealogy of Joseph, which is in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's, it's mind-blowing. Th- through the lineage of Abraham comes one, through the, line- <laughs> the lineage of David comes the other, which needs to happen so that we have the royal and the racial marriage of the Messiah. And here we have Mary and Joseph this 14-year-old girl and this man who's probably a little older, maybe 17, 18, 19. Otherwise, her parents would never allow him to have the responsibility of taking after their, looking after their daughter. Um, these genealogies are just amazing proof of God's uncanny, unbelievable providence and sovereign, sovereignty in our lives. And, and it, it should really uh, make this story not, not just not unbelievable, not amazing, but believable and trustworthy in amazing ways. So this angel is sent from God, and he shows up, and he says these words to Mary. In verse 28, it begins with, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. (laughs) But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, commentators, translators have tried well to, to translate the, the, the Greek uh, for greatly troubled. It's, it's a challenging one because it has so many different variables in the, the, the original Greek in that day. But let's put it this way, and there's a few ways that we need to see this today, but it, it, would, it would be along the lines of being shocked. <laughs> and, and again, you're 14, girls, ladies. You're 14, guys, it doesn't matter. You're 14, and this rather large, impressive being appears in your presence, and um, Zechariah expressed fear, older man, like literal fear. In, in her case, this is, this is shock. 
Surprise. Astounding. But it's important that you see what those two words modify. Greatly troubled at what? The being? No, what he said. She's greatly troubled by what he said. So again, you're 14, and, and this, he's big, according to Scripture. Impressive, powerful, gleaming white. Angel is standing in your midst. This is how he, he is a spirit, but this is how he manifests when he does show before human beings. And so she's surprised. But notice this, it's very different than the fear that was filled um, by, by Zechariah, her focus seems to be more on what he has had to say, and especially this word, favored. She's struggling with that, trying to discern. This is, this is awesome, actually, what we see. We see, really, in a sense, great humility in this young woman, wondering, first of all, maybe she's wondering, are you talking to me? I'm, I'm just the daughter. Do you want to talk to my mom? Maybe you came to see her. Like, I'm the favored one. It's great humility. It's, it's amazing humility. The angel goes on and says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. So Gabriel senses a bit of fear. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, second time, with God. And behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So he picks up on this sense of fear. However it might have been expressed, that's what he senses, or bewilderment. And then, oh yes, here's the surprise. <laughs> Again, like, you have found favor with God, so, you know, he wants to bless you and your husband, and by the way, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a huge mansion, right? It's going to be awesome. You know, your feast is going to be amazing. Your marriage is going to last forever. You're going to have multitudes of children. That would have been a blessing, I would think. But no, the surprise is this. And, and look at the words, you will, not maybe, suggestion, you will conceive, and you will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Not a lot of options here, right? This is not a pick and choose, you know, what I want to have on my, my wedding gift list, right? This is rather adamant. So Gabriel miraculously enters her presence, repeats she is favored twice, then tells this young girl who has her life ahead of her, a full life of dreams and everything, he basically says these words, plans have changed. You okay with that? God does that, you know, today in all of our lives. Plans have changed. The question is, do we listen to that? Do we hear that? And the second question is, are you okay with that? Plans have changed. He's, he's not finished. Describing what her son is going to be like, he goes on, he says, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wait, my kid? I just, honestly, I wish, I'm, I'm trying to bring us back into that time just to just maybe have a, we've got to ask these questions, but I would love to be able to just see her expression and see the things that were going on at that time. So let's also note here the comparison. There's a comparison happening from last week's text and this week's text. It's important. The comparison is this. Mary is very young. 
whereas Zechariah was very old. He's known about the promises for decades, the promises of God for decades and decades and decades. But what happens to him? He becomes unfaithful in, in, in his hope and belief that God will answer his prayers and fulfill his promises, doesn't he? And so we have that with him. Mary has heard of the promises of God for what? 14 years? And, and maybe comprehended them for what? Seven, eight, nine years? Who knows? Just a few years. So he's given a new and great, but to him a long overdue promise, Zechariah that is. He's given a long overdue promise to him, right? She's given a really, really big change of plans promise though, isn't she? It's remarkably different. It's really the promise of all promises. If you were a, a Jewish woman in that day, a young Jewish woman who had not had a child yet, to be told that you're going to be the bearer of the Messiah, that's a big promise. question is, for you and I here today, which of these promises was the most impossible or unbelievable, Right? Mary, listen, yes, you're a virgin, but you're going to have a son who's going to be the Messiah. I think at that point, you can, you can, when Mary hears these last few verses, these words of, 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 a, of Gabriel, she's basically going, plans have changed. Do you think? Yeah. Like... And so she's grappling, discerning, trying to get her mind around this. So I want to ask, how might you respond, ladies? <laughs> It, when you're younger or even as you're older, whether it's about children or about any other aspect of your life, how would you respond to God saying, change of plans? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? But Mary's like this. After all that, she speaks. And we hear these words. How will this be? since I am a virgin. So, so we, we've been told she's a virgin, and, and she confirms it. So she's saying, like, okay, so I just want to be clear here. Joseph and I, nothing. Any other guy, nothing. Just want to be clear about this. How will this work? That's the most important word. For Mary, it's about how, right? How will this work? It, it's... Basically, obviously, different with Zechariah. Zechariah was, was not mainly, he was exactly like this when he heard the words of Gabriel. He was like, that's impossible, and let me give you a list of reasons why that's not going to happen. <laughs> like, like, I'm old, and you think I'm old? My wife is advanced, right? Like, this has not been happening with us for a long time. Do you understand? And not only that, I've given up praying. So you can imagine the list. We all have those lists, right, when things just don't go the way we had hoped or promises are not fulfilled or God's not answering. We, we have our list of, of things, and it just sounds impossible. But Mary's like, Mary's different. She's like, that sounds impossible, but can you just help me with the how? <laughs> it's almost like she's saying, like, like, I know I was homeschooled, but, you know, can we talk biology? Like, like can you explain this to me? It's a very different, different approach. Zachariah's heart was, I don't believe it can be done. And you know what happened to him, right? Gabriel pressed the mute button on him, right? And said, that's it. You're not going to talk for a while. 
That'll be a lesson to you. A little different with Mary. She's basically saying, you say it will and shall happen. Okay, please help me understand. I just want to know how. Ever prayed to God for understanding how? You've been waiting and waiting and waiting. How? (laughs) Faith is required. So maybe there are a few lessons for us to learn from this 14-year-old girl, do you think? Um, Lord, you say you want me to wait to have a godly husband or a godly wife. Or, or Lord, you say you want me to wait to, to, to have that perfect career change or job or whatever it might show up. You want me to wait and, and be patient and trust you and rely upon you. Or, or that house that I have no idea in the world how we're ever going to afford especially here in lovely Squamish. I mean, Lord, um, or for healing, or for whatever, whatever, whatever you can imagine. And, and most importantly, Lord, you say you love me, and, and your word tells me that you want the best for me. You want me to prosper and, and flourish. So, Lord, uh, I just want to ask you, how? Will you show me how? Friends, I want to encourage you that our, our lesson from this 14-year-old girl today is just ask. <laughs> ask the question, how? Gabriel tells Mary, he says this, the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, who will be born, will be called Holy the Son of God. So Gabriel's answer is very clear. There's nothing, nothing, Mary, that you and I can do to make our lives or ourselves, for ourselves, remotely better than what God can do for us. Do you struggle with that? (laughs) Do you ever struggle with the fact that, you know, Maybe there's this belief that you have, and and, because I know I've had it, maybe you're not as struggling as much as I do, but there's a point at which, okay, God, so what you're saying right now in your silence is, it's over to me, that that I should just start making my own decisions. I I I should make it happen in whatever way I wish to make it happen. Anybody struggle with that? Yes, what we're finding here is that The same spirit that empowered Jesus in his early life is needed in order that, A, we might actually first be spiritually resuscitated, spiritually born again, so that we can actually know the will of God in our lives and and today. But secondly, B, to live the life that God has for us. Mary needed the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. That's the how. Jesus, in his earthly life, as fully man and fully God, needed the Holy Spirit to live a sinless and perfect life. So we need, like Mary needed, the Holy Spirit to come over us, to overshadow, listen, our hearts, our minds, and yes, our egos and our pride that wants to take control and do things the way we want to do them rather than completely rely on him. Gabriel then concludes and says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. 
very wonderful words. For there is, there will be, nothing, pardon me, will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Oh, you hanging your head on that one? <laughs> nothing will be impossible with God. So that's a lot to take in for a 14 to 15-year-old young girl, don't you think? It's a lot to take in. She's only asked one question so far. Would you not have more? <laughs> like a few more questions, because, I, again, I, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I would, pardon me. So what we have it really in these, this last verse from the, the, the words from the angel Gabriel is a very important statement, and that is that nothing will be impossible with God. Mary hears this. Zachariah doubted and was actually unfaithful and in unbelief. She's trying to discern the how and the wherefore and the why of what's being said to her here. This is the cosmic event that takes place here. This is the cosmic event that takes place. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will ever keep him from fulfilling his promises. In this statement, we also discover another characteristic of who God is and what he does. He does the things that are impossible, the things that you and I can't do. He does impossible things. That's who God is. And and he does impossible things, certainly in human intellectual terms, doesn't he? I mean, the virgin birth, hello, does modern science believe that the virgin birth is possible? Impossible. How about the resurrection from the dead? Possible? Impossible. Impossible. That's what we would be told. The virgin birth, friends, is the cosmic event of all time. As I alluded to in our introduction, aside from the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, these cosmic events at that time are immeasurable. There's no comparison to them in our world today. So the virgin birth is a cosmic event, impossible according to modern science. And the key, please hear this, is this. The virgin birth is absolutely necessary. I remember many, many years ago actually uh, being on a talk show in Vancouver uh, talking about Union Gospel Mission and so forth with a gentleman whose name I won't, remember, I won't mention, but he actually asked me on that talk show at that time, listen, to be a Christian, do you have to believe in the virgin birth? I mean, come on. Like Jesus, all of what he said, it's pretty good, right? I was like, it's live, radio, right? And uh, I gave him an answer. It's absolutely necessary. My answer today is a little different than what I gave to him, but why? Because if Jesus were born of a man and a woman, he would have been born how? Just like you and just like me, meaning what? In sin. This cosmic event happened and was totally, totally necessary. And then there's this blessing from God. There's a blessing from God right in this. Do you see this? Mary's hearing all this, right? She has an aunt. Her name is Elizabeth. And Mary's like, wait a second. So so you're telling me here that my aunt is already six months pregnant? My aunt, whom I've known since I was born, who's like really old and has never been able to have a child. And listen, it's impossible for a woman her age and a husband like hers, to be able to father a child, that's impossible, but she's given that by the angel. That's a bit of grace, isn't it? 
that, that's something for her to hold on to, is it? And you know what she's going to do with that, don't you? Keep reading in the text right after this. What does she do? As soon as the angel leaves and this is over, she runs to her aunt. And what happens? John the Baptist, in her womb, leaps with joy. It's confirmed for her very quickly. This is the grace of God and comfort toward her, I would suggest. So imagine just for a moment the enormity of what she's been told. You're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, not by a man, and the child you're going to bear is going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the Son of God. Breathtaking, to say the least. But listen, again, we have to enter her mind at this point in time. She's maybe also beginning to put a few things together. And just like her Aunt Elizabeth felt the reproach and the shame of those people who were judging her because she did not have a child, Mary's probably beginning to put it together in her mind like, wait a second, having a child out of betrothal or out of wedlock is like, that's pretty shameful. There was a penalty for that in that day. Do you know what it was? Stoning. But also, can you imagine she's thinking, um, I, I, I'm going to have to have a conversation with Joseph. <laughs> hey, honey, listen, I, I need to tell you uh, what happened. I, I'm so she's got to be running these, three, these things through her minds. And again, though, even though she's probably thinking things like that at the time, she's thinking, I'm going to go to my aunt and check all this out. That's great. Even at that moment, God's grace is working on our behalf again. Because what is he doing? Well, he's sending Gabriel to go talk to Joseph. He sends Gabriel again. Joseph heard the words, or heard word, I should say, that, wait a second, the woman that I'm betrothed to, this woman whom I actually love, is what? She's going to be with child by the Holy Spirit, but not by me. And, And he's already formulating in his mind the plan, right? And his plan is, and listen, his plan is actually a loving plan in this sense. He, he, he wants to divorce her quietly because he wants to actually help reduce the shame that would be put upon her by a, a public uh, uh, divorcement, and, and he wants maybe to be able to help her to kind of go and hide and have the baby maybe over there, somewhere else, right? And while he's actually thinking these thoughts, we read in Matthew's gospel, Gabriel comes to Joseph and says these words to him, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All we know from today's text is that Mary responds immediately with her second statement. It's profound. It's profound. And it's from a young woman who clearly has faith. She clearly has been reading and listening to the Torah in her home and in her heart and in synagogue all of her life. To be able to say this after this encounter, these are her words. She says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Um, the word translated servant here is really, really amazing. Um, 
normally that word in the uh, New Testament, often I should say, most often, is the, word, the Greek word diakonos, which we get the word deacon from. So it's a servant. All of you, by the way, who are believers uh, in the church are deacons, right? You're, you're servants. We're, we are a family of missionary servants, right? That's a diakonai or diakonos. This word is the word doulos. It's very uniquely used here. It means handmaid or female servant. And some of you ladies might see that the root of that word is actually the word doula, right? Which is where we get that word from today. So there's also this to think about at this point before we conclude, and that is this. The angel actually hasn't told her the whole story, has he? The story that we know that is the Christmas story, but also the story of Christ's life and what happens next. He doesn't tell her the whole story. He doesn't tell her that her baby boy, and you were singing that song earlier today, which is awesome. I, I read and I told me she was going to play it, and she didn't. I think it's awesome. But were any of you listening to that song going, would somebody answer the question? Right? Like, it, it, it's obviously a given, and the fact is, no, she didn't know. She only knew the, the amazing things, the wonderful things, the true things about whom he would be as Son of God, King, Messiah, Savior. But she didn't know that he would be rejected, despised, whipped, nailed to a Roman cross, hung there in the ground before her and John and the other disciples, and die crucified for the sins of the world, and that she would have to be there and watch it happen. She didn't know that. And then after that, that he would be buried for three days, even though he had said he would rise from the dead, she wept. They all did. They all feared the worst. But then he rose from the dead in the sense she didn't know any of this would happen. He doesn't tell her that this will happen. But somehow she knew that Gabriel, that God would work it out. And the good news is, we in hindsight, we know he did. We know he fully did, like to the nth detail, to absolutely the nth detail. So as we conclude today, I'd like to return actually to a couple of verses, um, four in particular. I want to reread them for you and put them on screen in this story to highlight the key to the gospel that we see in this story because it's the key. It's really the key. Like prayer was the key last week, actually. This is the key. We've seen a little bit so far about who God is and what he did in those days. Um, Let's consider who you and I are here, who we are in the story, and then out of that, how maybe we should live. Let me put verses 28 and 29 and 30 and 31 back on screen just to have a look at these. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. I'm leaning on that word, obviously. The Lord is with you. But she, had, she was greatly troubled at the sayings and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And then in 3031, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So twice Gabriel uses the word favor, right? So... I don't know if you know the rest of the Bible, the Gospels, the rest of the story about Mary. There's not much else about her, by the way, in the Scripture. But in any of the, the, the in this Gospel, what we've read so far, or any of the other texts, do any of you know of any evidence that Mary was deserving of the favor of God? 
I, I'm, I'm not sure if there is. What, was there any evidence, for, per se, that she was particularly angelic, you know, responded to every wish and desire, was completely obedient to her mother and father, was like, a, a, like you know, an A-plus homeschool student, you know, like scholarly, all the rest of it, you know, cl- kept her room clean, you know, went to temple, read her Bible every morning? I mean, was there any evidence, evidence of that? There's none. There's none. I mean, one would hope, but there's, there's no evidence whatsoever that she is now. Some might say, well, she was a virgin. Like she had that going for her, right? At 13, 14 years of age in that culture, like maybe not today, but that's, that, was, that was the norm. So actually the truth is we know nothing about her beyond these events that we've read today related to that point. But we do know this about her and ourselves. We do know this is true from the gospel. She did nothing to deserve God's favor. To be declared a favored one, then there's nothing that you and I can do to earn God's favor. Is that not good news? (laughs) I remember first hearing the gospel when I was 23 years of age, like first hearing it, even though I was raised Catholic, first hearing the gospel, and it it was not about me being a good boy, good Catholic boy, but me not smoking, not doing this, not doing that. It wasn't about a a bunch of not doings and doings in order to earn God's favor and acceptance. No, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about getting over the bar because of what I needed to do. It was because the bar was ridiculously high, impossibly high for everyone. And God had to be the one who chose us and showed his favor to us. It's remarkable in this text. I've already mentioned one Greek word, servant, but that Greek word for favor is beautiful. Because again, in our English language, we, we look at that as, well, favor means like thinking highly of. Actually, the Greek word is, the root word is karios. Anybody know what karios means? Grace. Grace has, God has shown grace to you, has found grace to you, Mary, she would have heard that. She would have heard that, but maybe we don't. And so, quite frankly, this is the classic text, one of the classic texts, where we get the most succinct definition of grace, and that definition is unmerited favor. Helps us begin to understand how a 14-year-old Jewish girl who probably knew her Bible, knew the Torah, knew the scriptures that were available to them at that time, and recognized that there needed to be a sacrifice for atonement, and that our lives weren't going to cut it. That too, my friends, is the cosmic event that takes place here. It is the most important thing that we need to know about the Christmas story, and that is that God, despite not us not deserving or doing anything to deserve him comes to rescue us, sends Jesus to rescue us, to die for us, for our sins, so that we can be healed. God comes as a child to pour out his grace in all of us and save us for himself. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, favored ones, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. I pray that you would do that today if you haven't. Pray with me, would you?